Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies, and today my guest is Emmy-nominated director, documentarian, Derek Donin. Welcome to the show, Derek. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure having you here. We're going to talk about this brand new series that is on Netflix called Heist, and you were um, a director, I think, of one of the... There's a three-part series, and you're the director of one of them, but you were also the showrunner and executive producer on all of them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Great. Well, I, I have to tell you, it's fascinating. Heist is very fascinating. Each each one of those segments is a very intriguing. So I, I want our guests to know a little bit. Let's talk about the one that you actually directed. Uh, let everybody know the title of that and a little bit of the background of that um, particular segment of Heist. Sure, yeah. So just to give you sort of a broader overview, the, the show, as you mentioned, is called Heist. It's about real heist stories, but told through the perspective of the people who pulled them off. Uh, so the first two episodes, you mentioned it's, it's uh, three stories. Each one is told in two parts. So it's actually six episodes. And uh, the first two are titled Sex, Magic, Money, Murder. Uh, they're about Heather Talchi, who when she was 21 years old, um, stole $3 million from a Vegas casino with her accomplice, an older man named Roberto Solis, and went on the run. And they actually truly got away with it. They lived on the run. She lived on the run for about 12 years um, before turning herself in. It's an amazing story. So tell it because obviously you, you there's no there's no film going on and documenting them and and the, what they were doing during that time. So you recreated what they were doing uh, or what happened and and through a lot of different things through photos and and film that she had. Is that some of it was that, but also yeah, yeah. recreating it. So talk about that, that and why you decided to do it that way. Premise is is fun true crime. You know, there's a lot of true crime out there that's dark, uh, really dark. You know, a lot of it's about murder, serial killers, you know, broken system. And I'm a fan of a lot of that. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of great programming. But we wanted something that was more fun that the audience could, you know, it could be a little bit of wish fulfillment. You know, we all sort of think about watch great heist movies or great heist TV shows. And we ask ourselves, you know, could I pull that off if I was in their shoes? You know, what, what would it be like if I was if I was there? doing this too and, and do I have what it takes you know and so we wanted to play into that a little bit and um, you know the, the recreations are supposed to be fun they're supposed to sort of put the audience into the driver's seat so they can experience these heists you know in first person you know just really sort of see what it's like to, to be in their shoes and um, you know and, and see it through their eyes well you had incredible access to her so talk about that to Heather um, Tall Chief how did that come about and, and, and what how did this whole uh, project come about? Let's talk about that too. Both, to both those questions. You know, how did the project come about, and then once you, and how did you pick which heist you were going to document, and then how you got access to Heather and her her um, her availability, and also her willingness to uh, be a part of this? Because I think what I read in the research is that a lot of people wanted to talk with her and have her story told, but for some reason she didn't until you came along and she changed her mind. So talk about that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot to unpack. I mean, you know, in general, I think talking sort of big picture here, I think that what really interested me in in telling these heist stories was being able to tell them from the perspective of the people who did it. And we wanted, so it was all about getting access for all the stories 
stories. It was about getting the access to the people. So there's a million amazing high stories, but if we couldn't get the access, that was a deal breaker sort of off the top. The other thing we were looking for was stories where you could kind of root for the bad guy. It's not to excuse what they did, but we wanted to understand them. We wanted to empathize with them. You know, we're looking at their life story, all the things that happened to them that led to this decision uh, that was going to change their, or that did end up changing their lives forever. Um, and as part of that, of course, you know, these crimes couldn't be violent. You know, they couldn't be just from career criminals trying to get one over. You know, it was, again, it was about understanding, you know, the nuances of, of who these people are. And so once you filter the stories through that lens, it really then kind of sharpens what you're looking for. And, um, and, and I think it's a smaller pool. So from there, I think we, we sort of narrowed it down to, I don't know, let's say eight stories that we thought were, were really great. And, um, you know, started getting access to several. And, you know, we just really liked how these play off each other. There are three stories from you know, sets of characters from three wildly different backgrounds. Um, you know, I don't think they could be any any more different yet, you know, in their differences, we sort of see, you know, their similarities. We see, you know, that, that we all think at the end of the day kind of want the same things. And, um, and so that was sort of an exciting through line to explore in the series. And with Heather specifically, it's true. She had told, um, you know, she told her lawyer, please, if anybody reaches out for any more interviews, any media, years ago, she said this, just don't even bring it to me. You know, I'm not interested. So the first step for me was just making, building a relationship with him. You know, we had several conversations and he, you know, he just needed to kind of understand who I am, what I'm about, that I'm not just making cheap, quick entertainment that I plan to dedicate a, you know, a big portion of my life to this. And, um, and that I plan to tell her story with the respect and reverence that it deserves. And I think once he felt that from me, he felt comfortable going to her and saying, you know, this guy's different, you know, maybe you should consider this one, Heather. Um, and so I started talking to her, we had several conversations, and then I flew out to meet her. And, you know, we, we met on uh, two, two occasions, I think, before she finally agreed to do it. And, and that's, you know, with all of the, the films, all the projects that I do, that's a crucial step, you know, just building that relationship, earning that trust, being open myself, being vulnerable so that they, you know, they can see what I'm about and they can trust me. Um, and, you know, once you do that, once you build that rapport, you know, then once the cameras are rolling and you're there with your crew, hopefully at that point, they're more comfortable opening themselves up to you. And, um, you know, and that's when you get that level of candor that makes the, the show or the movie really interesting. Well, it is. It is really interesting. Heather herself decided, and I love how you did this. I don't know if I should give this away, but anyhow, um, chose not to be on camera. And so you chose an actress to portray her, which we do not know until the very end, which I thought was great because we're all thinking we are watching the actual Heather. And I'm sorry, I I hope that's not giving anything away. But um, why did she, uh, yet you do have her at the very end, her face is blocked out. Um, Why did she choose not to be on camera? And yet, the and I just want to say too, the words that the actress speaks are her words verbatim. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we shot the interview with the real Heather over two days, and it wasn't until we were mostly finished editing the episodes that we then brought in Lisa, who did a fantastic job of you know bringing them to life. Um, but because we needed to know exactly what was going to be in the film, you know exactly how we were, how it was edited what you know what the, the nuances of what's going to stay and what comes out and and how it's performed and, and where it fits so you know that 
that can really only be final. We're working, we're tweaking all the way up until the end, so that can really only be finalized once the once the show is, is mostly locked. Um, so, uh, you know, she it's, it's we, we we sort of say in, in the end of the movie when we reveal the real Heather and that it was an actress that she chose to remain anonymous to protect her her safety because her accomplice, the uh, Roberto Solis, is still out there. And, you know, she thinks he's probably dead, but for her at the end of the day, I think it just was not worth the risk. You know, she, um, she just didn't feel comfortable, uh, with having her face out there, having him potentially see her knowing that she's, you know, talking about it so openly. So, um, of course, you know, I love Heather. I love her spirit. I, I, you know, if I had my preference, I would have, I would have had her on screen, but I had to respect uh, her wishes there. And, like I said, I'm just really thrilled with the work that Lisa did. You know, she um, she actually heard from Heather's sister, Elaine, who's in the film. Um, Elaine reached out to her yesterday after she saw it and said, you know, you captured her beautifully. That's That feels like my sister. And, you know, and I told Lisa that's probably the best review you could have gotten. You know, that's the coolest thing to hear that, you know, from from the person who knows her best. So, uh, so we're all pretty proud of how it turned out, despite... Um, you know, Heather uh, obviously choosing not to not to show her face. And it was after you had done all the filming that she made this decision, correct? Well, we talked about it early on. Okay. She was she was wary about it, you know. Um, and we agreed to shoot the interview, um, and just you know, and I, I told her I was I would do what, what you know I would respect what she wanted. Um, but you know, several conversations. But she made it clear early on that she was really wary about her face being on, on screen. And so, you know, we experimented with different things for a minute. We were thinking about some kind of CGI and using her voice, but mapping and face mapping somebody else's face, you know, we try, we're thinking about various, various plans here, but ultimately, you know, just having that, that real person in the chair that you, you know, the audience can just see and feel and, you know, and empathize with and all of that felt like the right call. And um, I think it was. It, yeah, well, it, it works. It does work that way. It def- definitely does work. You, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, it, it, but her, her family um, went on camera, and her son went, went, did. So how did she feel about that? Because obviously it's the son of her former lover, too. I guess he never met him. or if, Oh, he did early on. I'm sorry. He was there early he on. He did, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was in Dylan's life for right. the first you know, six months to a year or so. Um, but Dylan has no memories of him at all, obviously. Right. Um, you know, it, ultimately, it's everybody's personal choice. You know, um, Dylan, uh, it's it's not about, you know, is Heather at more risk than Dylan or her father or anything else? It's just that, you, you know, like, yes, sure. I mean, you can make the argument that there is a small risk for Dylan, too. But ultimately, it's his decision to make. I think he felt comfortable with that risk. and. Um, as did, you know, her dad and her brother and sister who all appear in the film, you know, they, they feel comfortable with it. Heather ultimately didn't, you know? And so, um, again, that's just, that's her choice. I have to respect it. Right. Right. Um, you know, I'm really happy that, that Dylan agreed to to participate. I I thought that, you know, he, he gave just a really thoughtful interview. And so it was really, yeah, I felt lucky that I got to include that. Well, you certainly humanize her. I mean, you know, nobody. That's what I like about this whole series is that um, 
you know, that nobody's all good, all bad. We all have, again, you know, different shadings and everything, but uh, that she did ultimately what she did, um, you know, at the end to turn herself in um, for her son. And, um, and I thought that, you know, once she had her son, then everything really changed for her, that she, she had more meaning and, and purpose in her life. And, yeah. and it just totally shifted everything that was going on prior to that. And here she was, a young, you know, 20, 21-year-old young woman who was influenced by this older Svengali, it sounds like, in a way, and shown love that she had never really felt before. I mean, that's so much of the story, too, about, um, you know, love. You know, bottom line, it's all about love. And this story is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first line. That's her first line in the show, I think, coming out of the opening credit sequence. You know, this is a love story at heart. That's what she says. And I love that you're talking about it because, you know, that that was our aim from the beginning to explore some of these larger human themes. Obviously, you have the sexiness of the heist. You know, you have this fast-paced, energetic planning sequence, heist sequence, the getaway, all of that. But, you know, what we what we wanted to do is also, you know, through that lens, explore some of these larger themes like love, like addiction, like greed, um, you know, family, motherhood. So the fact that you're sort of cluing into some of that stuff and talking about it and thinking about it um, means we did our jobs. You did. (laughs) You did them well. You know, um, it is... I was saying is in another interview, but now it, I mean I think I've OD'd on TV after last year, you know, so now I hardly ever turn anything on anymore. And yeah. so when I do, it's got to capture me. It's got you know, it's yeah. got to catch me and and make me you know really want to watch it all. Uh, and uh, the series did. It was it was very interesting. Um, it, it truly was. So it, with this, so you moved from. You went on. Let's talk about the next one, which you did not direct, but you can. You were the executive producer for, so um, that was also interesting. Um, What's the name of that? The Money Plane. The Money Money Plane. plane, Yeah. Yeah. So Martin, obviously one of my partners on the series, who just won an Oscar for Two Distant Strangers, directed those two. He did an incredible job. Um, But for all the stories, uh, like the characters, all of the the real people are. um, You know, I did all of those interviews. I sort of was lucky to, um, you know, form these close relationships with everybody on both sides, you know, on the heist side, of course, but also on the law enforcement side. And I think they're really, really colorful characters on the law enforcement side, too, in all three of these stories. Um, yes. You know, so it's been, you know, now that the show's out and everybody's had a chance to see it, you know, of course, I wanted to find an audience and, you know, I think a little bit about the reviews, but the, the thing that means the most to me is that, you know, I've been hearing from a lot of the, the subjects and they all are really proud of how it turned out and have reached out to tell me that they really like it. And um, that's that's been really special, you know, for me to, to get that kind of thing because that, that sort of means the most. Yeah. And, you know, and again, um well, basically, when we've come down to it, you know, crime doesn't pay. I mean, we've, we know it doesn't pay, but you just reiterate it, but you show it in a different way and how, how all of what the, the choices that each one of these people made, uh, in, in all of the series, every, you know, every, I, I'm sorry, I didn't watch the very last one yet, but I did watch the first two, uh, and I will watch the other one tonight. Um, so yeah, yeah I do want to see that one. It was just getting late. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, understood. Uh, um, but the. The, the fact that they made these decisions and choices and, and then they all look back and reflect and go, why did I make those choices? Because look at what had happened to, uh, my life because of it. So that is also, I mean, the fact that they're all being very reflective. Not everybody is reflective, you know, about their life, period. I and mean, many people aren't, don't reflect about their lives and don't grow and change and, and whatnot. But a, a life well lived is one that, you know, does look back and tries to grow from our life experiences and our choices. And so we don't make those choices again. But it was interesting in, in, in that one, in the money plane. Um, talk a little bit about that, about Carl's and, and, you know, why he did what he did. I mean, it, the reason he did it was a wonderful reason, but the wrong reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, what he did was wrong for the right reason, maybe. Let's put it that way. Sure. Well, so I mean, let's talk about. To, Go ahead. To what you were saying a second ago, you know, you know, the, the, these people reflecting the way that they are about, you know, their life choices. I think, you know, prison will do that to you as well. You know, a lot of these people have had to pay for what they've done, and you know, certainly we t- we're talking a lot about the fun of the series and all of that. But um, I think episode two of each story, you really see the the cost, you know, the the toll that it takes on these people, how their mm-hmm. lives um, have been upended, how they've lost their families or the things that really matter most to them yeah. um, because of their choices. So even though, you know, we look at the motivations, they might, you know, be empathetic figures because, you know, in the case of, you know, Carl's and his wife, um, you know, as, as you were just mentioning, you know, they, they were, had, they were, all they wanted was to, to start a family. You know, he, he had immigrated from Cuba in search of his American dream. He had a good car, he um, had met, you know, the woman of his dreams. The last step for him and for them was to build this family to have kids. And um, they tried and tried and tried and had multiple miscarriages and, you know, finally gave birth to a stillborn baby at eight months. You know, you just can't imagine anything more tragic. Mm-mm. And, no. um, you know, so he's in this really vulnerable place and they're trying to adopt and it's expensive. You know, they're looking at these Russian adoption websites and, you know, they're looking at $30,000 to, to, you know, adopt a baby and he just can't afford it. And sort of right around that exact same time, one of his friends from Cuba, actually, who's also living in Miami, you know, calls him and says, hey, you know, there's $100 million that comes through this warehouse once a week and it sits open in a warehouse, unguarded, no armed guards, nothing, no cameras. We can take this money, you know, and... For somebody who's just gone through something like that, all of a sudden that, you know, that prospect sounds intriguing. And so, you know, that central question of if you knew there was $100 million sitting unguarded in a warehouse, what would you do with that information? You know, that's part of the wish fulfillment of what I was talking about earlier. That's sort of, you know, the the fun that we get to play with. But then when you filter it through the lens of everything that Carl's and his family had just gone through, you start to understand how somebody might be push to make a choice like that. Yeah, a tough, it, you know, it, it is. It's just the circumstances all just collided at the same time. And again, I'm sure on hindsight, he would go, okay, we'll figure this out another way. Like I said, you see at the end what did to him and his family. And, you know, now his his wife, now ex-wife, was able to start a family, just not with him. So I don't think anybody is going to walk away from the show feeling inspired to pull off a heist of their own. I, I, you would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> You, you would hope not. 
That was a careful distinction for us. You know, so you want to root for them, but you don't want to excuse what they did. You know, and and I, I hope we were able to, to straddle that line. Yes, we we weren't trying to make excuses for them. We just want you know, it's it's not trying to glamorize crime or you know, or heists in general. It's just again, it was. But but I do want to understand. You know, these are mostly ordinary people. They're not career criminals. You know, they're they're ordinary people who who made extraordinary choices and that's what we wanted to unpack. So when you were when you decided to to do a show like this, first of all, what inspired you to do a show like this? Let's add that that answer that question first and then we'll go to the next one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like I mentioned before, I'm really into to true crime and, you know, there's a lot of heist content out there right now. Obviously Money Heist is a huge hit on on Netflix. Lupin's a huge hit. People love this stuff, but um, you know, I, I, I but like I said, there's sort of two things here. One is um, most of the true crime, like I mentioned before, is super dark. And I thought it'd be fun to sort of flip the genre on its head and make something that was a lot lighter, really fun, that you could watch and not feel like you need to double check if your doors are locked before you go to bed, you know. Um, and the other is that, like I mentioned, there's a lot of this heist content, but, you know, my, I was having a conversation with my wife a couple of years ago, and she was like, you know, there's not really much of this in the documentary space. And I was like, you know, you're right. Um, and that sort of got me thinking. And right around the time I started reading an article that just really jumped off the page, I was imagining it in this sort of documentary hybrid space with a lot of recreation, you know, and, and this, this kind of this gentleman beef, you know, someone that's just infinitely uh, likable, um, you know, just a great character. And, and I thought if I could get access to, to this guy, if I could get access to the people who did this um, and have some fun with it, I think, you know, we, we'll, we'll have a, a show on our hands that people really enjoy. And so that's kind of how it started. I emailed Martin, uh, the director that we were talking about earlier, and um, his company is Dirty Robber. I've worked with them several times before and just love everything they do. And I just said, I've got this idea. I just gave him the elevator pitch, you know, it's like one paragraph in an email. And what do you think? And he was like, I love it. <laughs> you know, let's do it. And so that's how it started. We pitched Netflix uh, when my son was five days old and he turned two in March. So I've been able to sort of watch them grow together over the last couple of years. And that's been a lot of fun. And now he's enjoying, you know, running around, um, you know, talking about heist. (laughs) (laughs) uh, We had some friends over last night to watch uh, the first couple episodes. And he's like, our friends are coming to watch heist. And he's getting all excited. And so it's it's been a lot of fun. That's great. That's great. So how did you, and I only have, we only have a a minute or so, but how did you choose each one of these stories? Because there's, as you said, there's a lot of stories out there. How did you decide about these particular stories? And it sounds like there's going to be more. This is not the end of it, it sounds like. We'll see. I, I hope not. I mean, I really, you know, I've, I've enjoyed making the show. There are a lot of great heist stories out there, others that we're looking at. And if it does well, maybe we'll get another shot to, to keep it going with Netflix. But uh, as of now, you know, we're just focused on this first season. And, you know, as I mentioned, I just felt like they played off each other really well. They sort of ticked all the boxes that I was talking about, nonviolent crimes, um, you know, people that you, you could have fun rooting for um, and, you know, non-career criminals, you know, and, and stories that unpack a lot of these larger themes that you we were talking about, you know, so to have a, a young woman in, in Vegas, 
a Cuban immigrant in Miami and a, and a family man in Kentucky in the American South who, are, again, are all so different, come from totally different walks of life, but who have life experience that's worth talking about and thinking about that we can relate to as average people. Um, you know, that was sort of the formula that, that we felt would work. And, um, yeah, we're really proud of how it turned out. They all are their own, you know, fun ride, but they all sort of feel united in, in the way that we tell the story and in some of the larger themes that kind of bring it all together. So, Well, it's, 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 it's a fun ro- watch, everybody. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, search out Heist. Uh, you will enjoy it. Yeah, um, it's, it's just fascinating. It's, and it's well done. The recreated scenes, you know, just blend so perfectly. We don't even feel like, you know, sometimes you, when they, somebody's recreating something, you know, it's like so different from what the rest of the film is like. And you, it's seamless in that respect. So you did a wonderful job, Derek, really. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. I wish you much success with Heist and with other, your other future endeavors. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun talking to you. So thank you. And, uh, and yeah, and please enjoy the show. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. If you've missed any of the Jam Price Show's All About Movies, they are archived on thejampriceshow.com. And you can listen to uh, the show on iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Play, Google Play, iTunes, YouTube, you name it. Wherever you listen to a podcast, we are there. And also, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Jam Price Show. Thank you all for listening. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jam Price Show, all about movies.